Thank you so much, Michael. Praise God. It's great to see all of you here today. Have you been enjoying the series? I think uh, Michael did such a great job over the last couple of weeks and laid such a foundation and I'm so grateful. I also want to acknowledge this morning someone very precious to us, Lena. It's her birthday. Please make her feel special today. It's amazing how many people were born in the same year. Lena, Emily, Lanston. Where's Lanston? You guys are all born in the same year. It's a special year for them. Very special year. I won't say how old they are. I'm not allowed to say that about women. They're 11 years my junior. And I know that because they're the same age as my youngest brother, William. Okay, so that's how I think of them. Who else was born in that same year? Praise God. But we celebrate you. We really appreciate you, Lena, the role you play in this church in Compassion Ministries, uh, the GOP, Go Outreach Ministries, and also uh, in worship, and just who you are to many people here. You're very precious to us. And I can see you wearing your birthday outfit. So. <laughs> looks nice. It looks like you look the part. <laughs> Praise God. Father, I pray thanking you for your goodness, thanking you for the thing that you want to impart to your people. I thank you for the spirit of revelation and the spirit of wisdom. I thank you, God, that today we will leave this place changed. We will not be the same. We cannot remain the same. We open our heart to what you are saying to us, Lord Jesus. I thank you for families changing. I thank you for this church changing. I thank you for businesses being transformed. We open our heart to you, Holy Spirit, our teacher. Come and have your way, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. I was in a situation this week where I was coaching an individual, a very intelligent guy, and I found my conversation with him very interesting because he said to me, Paul, I've done really well during the course of this year. I've really performed well, I believe. But I was speaking to my manager and my manager's manager. I was speaking to my bosses. And they said to me, you know what? We might have to give you a needs improvement. You all know what that is, right? You know the rating, how it goes, right? A needs improvement. And he says, I'm a bit confused because I got to a place where I hadn't had that kind of feedback from them. And I thought things were fine. I thought I was doing really well. In fact, I thought it was a miracle how we managed to submit what we needed to submit. Uh, to our clients, I don't want to be overly specific about the context, but we managed to submit it and our clients are really happy. But this guy said to me, a needs improvement you possibly have to have. And I said to him, you know what I think is going on in your team? I think that the win has not been clarified. Because whenever you have an individual in a space where they feel they're doing really fine, but then you have their boss with a different opinion, it means that the win has not yet been clarified. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, you see that happening in the corporate world. And some people say, are they, set, are they setting me up to fail? Why didn't they clarify this? Then I could have focused on it. So you have it happening in the corporate world where the win has not been clarified. You also have it in marriages. Very often I speak to couples and the guy might be saying, I work so hard. I buy my wife clothes. I got her a new blouse the other day. 
some people from certain ethnic groups like using that word. I got a new blouse the other day. And then you have the lady saying, I don't know if my husband loves me. He never spends time with me. He never takes me on dates. The wind has not been clarified. The wind has not been clarified. You see it happening with teams. If you have someone moving from one team to another, I'm obviously talking about soccer. Whenever I say teams, I'm talking about soccer. That's the default, right? And you see situations where you have a coach and his philosophy might be, you know what? If we are one up and we score and it's one nil, then just settle, guys, and play a defensive game. And it's very boring football for spectators to watch. Then you've got other people, I don't want to mention names, then you've got other people, well-known coaches, their philosophy is the spectator must enjoy it. And those teams are known for the beautiful football that they play. Because they play an attacking game, they play a nice passing game. Does that make sense? Alright? Now what happens if you are working under a coach who wants you to settle and play a defensive game? But then you've just moved to that particular team and your philosophy that's built into you is you must entertain, you must attack, you must do the spectacular so that the fans can enjoy it. You're a purist that way when it comes to soccer. Are you hearing me today? The winds have not been clarified. But the news I have for you this morning is Jesus has clarified his win. Jesus has made very clear that which is a priority for him. And when I look in scripture, and I think it's one of the scriptures that we've looked, in, looked at earlier on in this series, you see in Luke chapter 18, and I'm going to read from verse 2 to 8. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. I love Jesus' examples. Sometimes when he's trying to paint a picture of Father God, he gets someone who's like the opposite of God. You know? And then he says, if this person is like this, then surely God is so much more. Now watch this. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. I remember one day I was doing a talk at a particular function, a particular occasion, and the public protector was speaking after me, and she walked in while I was speaking, and it was so nice having her quote me afterwards, like the previous speaker said, it just felt good. Anyway, she... <laughs> Anyway, I made a mistake because I was up there and I basically said, okay guys, so I'm going to leave you to the public prosecutor who's going to be like, and then someone said, protector, protector. I was like, oh, protector. Okay, it was a couple of years ago when some of these terms were a bit foreign to some of us. Anyway, but give me legal protection from my opponent. Be my protector. Now watch this. For a while, he was unwilling but afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man. Imagine being like that. There's some people, if they're honest with themselves, that's them, you know. Guys, I don't, I don't fear God, I don't respect man. Yet because this widow bothers me, because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Now, Jesus is very careful when he uses certain examples in Scripture. Because how many of you know that a lot of what's spoken of when it comes to the ministry of intercession is to do with legalities? Yeah. We're told in scripture that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. We're told that Jesus 
there is sitting at the right hand of the Father and is making intercession for us. So when you're in situations where the enemy comes and accuses you, he plays the role of being your protector. That's a legal term, isn't it? The Holy Spirit is described as advocate. Advocate is anyone who speaks on behalf of you. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Now watch this. Watch this. It says, And the Lord said to her, said, the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? How many of you have been crying out to God? Day and night. Some of you it's just night. You worry throughout the day and then at night when you're about to sleep, that's when you cry out. But she was crying out day and night. And will he delay long over them? Now watch this. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, say however. however. When the Son of Man comes, will he find a good dress sense on the earth? Nice haircuts on the earth? Will that wonderful manager become the manager of that team on the earth? No. His focus isn't what our focus often is. His focus is, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus has clarified his will. Jesus had made it very clear what he is looking for on the earth when he comes. But let me ask you a question. Us as believers, are we focusing on what he is focusing on? He has clarified the win. He said this is of preeminence to me, that I find faith. You know what the problem is? For us as Christians, we focus on other things. What has mind share in your life? What is the thing you dwell on the most? Because the thing Jesus is dwelling on, the thing that has mind share for Jesus, the thing that preoccupies him is, is their faith. When he looks at these guys, when he looks at too many people, is their faith. When he looks at these guys, is their faith. Is their faith. Are they in faith? Now the mistake we often make as Christians is we judge ourselves based on our peaks in one area of our life. What do I mean by that? How many of you are familiar with the halo effect? You've studied management, you've studied human resources, maybe industrial psychology. The halo effect, don't be shy, raise your hand. We won't say you're showing off, I'm asking you a question. Okay, only one person, only two people, MBA students I'm seeing, say, say, uh, okay, right? The halo effect is basically when you're interviewing someone, and they come in for an interview, and you see one good quality in them, and then you think because of that good quality that they have, they must be brilliant in all areas. You see it happening, don't you? Guy walks in, he's dressed up really nicely, he's got a nice accent, he's well-spoken, and then you assume, ah, this guy knows his story. <laughs> and then after a while, after you've hired him, you see the gaps, the cracks, and the leakages, and you're like, oh, what happened? I'll tell you what happened, it was the halo effect. And the halo effect happens in our relationship with the Lord, doesn't it? Because there's some people out there who think that they are full of faith. Who think that when Jesus comes, you'll say, wow, there's amazing faith here. But they're only full of faith in one area. They're the kind of person when you see them at Ignite, when it comes to faith for healing, oh, they're strong in that area. And the girls look at this person and say, oh, yes, he's a man of faith. Why do you say he's a man of faith? Oh, did you see how he's praying for the sick? Do you see how he's believing for breakthrough for his health? 
But when Jesus comes, it says it and doesn't qualify. It says, will the Son of Man find faith? Faith in all areas. It doesn't say faith in one aspect. Faith in all areas. Because I see Christians praying for breakthrough in specific areas, being full of faith. But then when you see them during the week, and they're about to give a presentation in the workplace, they're extremely nervous. How many of you know that I have to trust God for healing, but I also have to trust Him to put words in my mouth when I'm speaking to influential stakeholders? Will the Son of Man find faith when He comes to your house? Will the Son of Man find faith when He looks at your marriage? Will the Son of Man find faith when He sees your business? Are we in agreement that faith is extremely important to Jesus. We're in agreement. All right. So if we're saying we believe that it's important, then I believe we need to create a culture of faith. That was just my introduction. We need to create a culture of faith. You see, you create culture by doing certain things. Culture is created by what you teach. I mean, that if you want a culture of faith in a church, you have to teach on faith. Here's the series. You create a culture by what you teach. You create a culture by what you model. Everyone look at me for a moment. Just look straight at me. I don't mind. Just look at me. All right. Everyone, touch your cheek. So many people are touching their chin. I know I've done this a couple of times before, but there's still so many people touching their chin. Now, I say touch your cheek. Why are you touching your chin? I mean, most of us in this room, I think everyone in this room understands the basics, right, in terms of the English language, right? Now, why are you touching your chin? Because you're seeing me touching my chin. So we don't just do what we hear, we do what we see. And if we're going to create a culture of faith for the next generation, they have to see faith being modeled. You create a culture by what you measure. Remember, Michael spoke about the faith meter. Let me talk about the faith meter. If you weren't here the last couple of Sundays, please go to the website, download those very powerful messages. Talk about the faith meter. Where are you at with regards to your faith? If we're not measuring it, we don't grow in it. If we think we're doing fine because of that halo effect, because yes, once in a while in prayer meetings, oh, I've got faith, my sister. Oh, I've got faith, my brother. You create culture by what you measure. What is the level of faith in your household? What is the level of faith that your, your children have? How much faith is manifested in your business? What type of prayers are you praying? Are they bold, audacious prayers that you are making? See, God has called us to be full of faith. And at any given moment in time, if we want to have a culture of faith in this church, in our families, in our businesses, in our schools, at any given moment of time, we need to be trusting God for something. My question to you is, what do you believe in God for right now? What are you in faith for right now? How many of you know that it's possible to just be a survivor in life? Just surviving, just carrying on, not in faith. How many of you work for a corporation that's quite a large corporation and you're permanently employed there? When you're driving to work, are you always thinking, hey, will I be paid this month? Will I be paid this month? So sometimes you can get comfortable and you remain in a comfort zone and you just get that paycheck and it's the same one from January through to December if that, unless you, you know, there's an out of, what is it called, an out of cycle increase that you get or a raise. But it's just a cost of living adjustment. 
or inflation. But my question to you is, what are you stretching your faith for right now? We learned earlier on in this series that without faith we cannot please God. What are you in faith for right now? There's faith for finances. There's faith for healing. Are there any sicknesses in your body right now and you've just accepted that this is my lot in life? What are you believing God for in terms of your marriage? Have you just settled that as long as me and my hubby don't fight, then I'm okay? As long as he continues to work hard and pay the bills and we survive, that's okay. Maybe that's what you've settled for in your life. But God has called us to be in faith in all areas in our life. Why can't you believe for marital bliss? What are you believing God for with regards to where you are at as a Christian? Maybe you've settled. How many of you know that to be a strong Christian you need faith? Maybe you've settled that, you know what, I'll just be a church goer. From time to time, sit in the pew. God will be impressed with me because I said amen three times. I'm a church goer. Or you're in a place of faith where you're saying, you know what, Lord, I'm going to serve faithfully right in this place. I'm going to build up my brothers and sisters. And one day you're going to open a door of ministry for me because I know I'm called to be a pastor. I know I'm called to plant a church, to establish a work where I'll be the leader of that particular work. And you come in faith. You serve in faith, believing that God will open a door for you. The Bible tells us that how can you expect something of your own if you're not faithful with that which is another's? How many of you know that part of the key to Malebo's breakthrough that she was talking about, she's been faithful as a writer, just with her blogging. Just with her blogging. Yes, she'll be coached, she'll be guided around it, but she was just using a gift. And now a door opens where she's got a job, where she's now writing for a magazine that will influence a lot of key stakeholders in her industry. Do you have faith to take over your industry? We need faith in all aspects of our lives. Culture is created by how leaders react to a crisis. Can I say it again? Culture is created by how leaders create leaders react to a crisis. So your children, when they're watching you, they're not just watching you on the good days. They want to see what does mom and dad do on the bad days. What do mom and dad do when they're stressed out? Who do they go to first? Do they seek the Lord? Do they see the Lord as their source, as their sustainer? Or do they start getting angry and irritable at home? Are we teaching the next generation faith? God wants us to create a culture of faith, saints. And what we want to do over the next couple of weeks is to give you some guidelines, some tips, very practical tips of the various areas that we need to focus on in order to create a culture of faith. And I've got a surprise package for you who's going to be delivering the first of those particular points. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Stuart Bishop. (laughs) (laughs) And after he does this first first point, just say encore, encore. Then you might see him again in a couple of weeks. (laughs) Good morning, church. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me find a good mic. Hallelujah. Amen. One, two. Bless the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Are you well this morning? Yes. Amen. Let's go right into it. Hallelujah. The reason why it's so important for us to create a culture of faith, and by the way, if you are slightly confused, the gentleman who was playing the drums earlier is actually my twin brother, so that's why. I know some of you are looking and you're wondering, red shirt, blue shirt, it's like, Hallelujah. Is God good this morning? Yes. Amen. The reason why it's important for us to know and for us to create a culture of faith today, now, right here, right now, in this dispensation that we live in, is because our lives are bombarded by all sorts of cultures. Hallelujah. Yes. All sorts of cultures. If you, just talking about my label and our blogging, social media culture has become such a force in the world today. And, and it's, it's, it's actually quite simple. The, the, the reason why is simply because of, of our inner need to be liked. Hashtag, did you like me? Did you, did you accept me? Did you accept my friend request? My friend. Uh, did you retweet? Did you reblog me? Hallelujah. Yes. It, 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 it's, it, it's one of the biggest cultures. It's one of, the, one of the strongest forces in the world today. And if we as a church are not able to say this is the culture of faith that we have to put on the table, then very soon this generation and the generations to become will simply be swept away by the culture of the day. Another culture that's, that, that's, that's really now been around for quite some time is the pop culture. The popular culture. Pop culture simply means this. What's popular? What's hip? What's happening? What's, what's cool? What's swagged out? Hallelujah. What's, what, 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 what are the latest trends? What is the most popular thing going around town at the moment? You see why it's so important for us to stand as Go Christian Church and say we have a culture of faith. Because otherwise our kids, our children and our children's children will be simply swept away with whatever the popular thing of the day is. And it's not even determined by them. It's determined by outside forces. It's what the world says is the most popular thing at the moment. Yeah. And we can't allow that to happen. I'm a, I'm a father and I cannot allow my five-month-old son who's now at the back there listening to the sound of my voice. I can't allow him, hallelujah, to be swept away by what, by what the world says is popular. I want you to know that faith is popular. I want you to know that the word of God is popular. I want you to know and understand the importance of cultivating a, a culture of faith. Hallelujah. In this day, in this age, in this dispensation, hallelujah, that we live in today. This is why it's so important. John Wesley, after he had passed away, the following was said about him. It was said of John Wesley that he only left behind three things when he died. His Bible, his horse, that tells you how long ago that was. <laughs> his Bible, his horse, and the Methodist Church. That was his legacy. That's what he left behind. He left behind his Bible, his horse, and the Methodist Church. What will generations say? Generations after you and I are long gone. What will they say? Go Christian Church, left behind as a legacy. What culture did we instill in the world today that, 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 that causes the world, that forces the world to sit up and pay attention to us as believers that says that we will not just go quietly into the night, but we will stand for what we believe in. If you believe that, just say hallelujah this morning. Hallelujah. That was a very short intro compared to Pastor Paul. <laughs> what do we need to do to create a culture of faith? Well, to create and to cultivate a culture of faith, it's very really simple, really. 
We need to go back to the basics. And one of the very basic basics is confessing God's word. You see, we live in a day and age where, uh, where trouble comes. Uh, Emily, you can put the scripture up. Uh, John chapter 16 and verse 33. The Bible says, in this world you will have troubles. One of those scriptures we don't really like to read. But don't stop there. Hallelujah. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Be of good faith. Cheer up. Put a smile on your face. Hallelujah. Why? Because I have overcome the world. So in this world, we will have trouble. It's a certainty. It's going to come. But when it comes, what do you turn to? Whose words do you confess when trouble comes? You see, it's not a question of whether it will or it won't. I'm telling you now, like it or not, trouble will come. But here's the question. When trouble does come, and it will come, whose words will you confess? Come on now. You see, when trouble comes, some people are, are, are prone towards uh, confessing the words of, of famous writers like William Shakespeare and Dr. Maya Angelou. And they quote a, a poem or a verse here and there, a Shakespearean verse. If that's you, that's fine. I, I really don't have any issue with you. It's okay. It's not, it's not sin. Hallelujah. Amen. There are some who, when, when trouble comes, when the storms rage and the winds batter against the side of your ship that is called life, there are some who, who turn to, to great political leaders like Nelson, Kholiklafla, Matiba Mandela. There's nothing wrong with it. He was a great man. He spoke great words. Hallelujah. But I offer you an alternative this morning. And I want to say to you that as a Bible-believing, Holy Ghost-filled, under the action of the anointing of the Holy Spirit of the living God, born again believer, when trouble comes and it will come, I implore you this morning to confess the word of God, to confess his holy word, his eternal word, his word that reigns and rules forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We're going straight into it. I don't have a lot of time. Hallelujah, Jesus. The nature of God's word is that it is eternal. The reason why, hallelujah, the reason why we cultivate a, a culture of faith by confessing his word is because his word is eternal. John 1, 1, in the beginning, not halfway through, not when things had already commenced, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That tells me that since the beginning of time, since before the, the world was without any form, without any shape, what existed and what will continue to exist after the world has come to an end is His Word. Because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. I'm looking at some of your faces and you're not convinced. That's okay because we're going to dig into His Word. Thank you, Emily. Psalm 119 and verse 89. Forever, O Lord. Forever, O Lord. Not sometimes. Not part of the time. Not now and then. Forever, O Lord. Thy word is settled in heaven. Matthew 24 and verse 35. Glory be to God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. My word will remain. Bless his name. 1 Peter 1.25. But the word of the Lord endures Hallelujah, Jesus. Psalm 119, verse 152. Long ago, I learned from your statutes, from your word, that you established them to last. Psalm 119, verse 106. Hallelujah. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are 
eternal. Isaiah 40 and verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You see, when we confess, when we confess the word of God, we confess what eternity has to say regarding our temporary situation and our temporary circumstance. Yes. You see, because God's word is eternal, because heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will remain, when we confess his word, then what we do is we take a temporary situation, a temporary storm, and we confess the eternal word of God over that temporary situation. Now, I'm not undermining what you're going through, not for one minute, not for one second. Believe me, I know what it is to get the victory over trials. It ain't easy, hallelujah, but it's worth it, hallelujah. But what I'm saying to you this morning, hear me, is that whatever you might be going through, whatever storm, whatever wind might be raging, whatever, whatever life may have dished out on you, because in this life we will have trouble. But when we confess the eternal word of God that, that goes from eternity to eternity over this temporary situation, then that eternal word has the authority, the ability, the power to overwhelm, to overcome, to overturn that temporary situation and turn it around for your good and for his glory. If you believe that, just say amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, uh, I love my son. <laughs> I let you go in. <laughs> I love my son, but there was a time before he had even gotten into this world, before he had even made a single sound. He was, he was about, it was about five months into my wife's pregnancy, and we got a couple of factual reports. I say it again, we got a couple of factual medical reports that were stating the facts of the situation. Fact number one was uh, the blood flow from my wife. To, to him was interrupted. In other words, there were gaps in the blood flow. So in other words, the thing that was supposed to be sustaining him and nourishing him was interrupted. So he wasn't getting all of the nourishment that he needed. Factual report number one. Nobody was guessing. Believe me, I saw it on the screen. It actually did exist. It actually was happening. I witnessed it with my own eyes. So when I tell you it's a fact, I mean what I say. It's a fact. Fact number one. Fact number two, the amniotic fluid in the womb was decreasing. Again, it's a fact. They put it on the monitor, they measure the amount of amniotic fluid, and they can tell you between last month and this month, it's gone down. It's decreasing. Fact number two. Fact number three, we were told by medical experts, medical experts who caucused together, because the file went around and went around from colleague to colleague to colleague, from husband and wife team uh, to, to, to someone more senior. And they caucused and they decided together that when these two sets of, of facts come together, the combination of the two is extremely dangerous. In fact, we were told when this type of situation exists, it always gets worse. It never ever gets better. Fact number three, factual reports from people with more degrees than a thermometer. People who know what they're talking about. Hallelujah, Jesus. Fact number three. So we were told it would never improve. We were told it was impossible to improve. These are the factual reports that we got from men. There's no lie there. Hear me, hear me clearly, it's, it's, it's not a lie, it's a fact. But even though there's nothing special about me, I'm not God's man of 
power for the hour or anything like that. But what I do know as an ordinary Bible-believing child of God is that His word is eternal. And I, what I know is I can I can I can I can listen to the report of man, but I can receive God's report. You see, it's not about what you hear, it's about what you receive in your spirit, man, this morning. That makes the difference. And so we fasted and we prayed and we interceded and we declared, we confessed the word of God, the eternal word of God. Lord, you are our healer. By your stripes we are healed. We are blessed in the city. We're blessed in the field. Hallelujah. Our children's children's children shall be blessed. You've not come to take life. You've come to give life. Hallelujah. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. Hallelujah. Today he is terrorizing his mother. <laughs> giving us grief at 2 o'clock in the morning. It baffled, it baffled the doctors. She wouldn't go as far to say it. My wife's gyne, but I saw it on her face. Because literally, as we began to confess the word of God, the amniotic fluid started to increase. Literally, as we began to declare God's word, confess God's word, there were no more gaps. In the blood flow. There were not, not one gap to be found. Hallelujah, Jesus. That's not the, you know what happens in that situation? You have the facts and then you have the truth of the word of God. It might what you're going through might be a fact, an undeniable fact. But when you attach the truth of God to those facts, God's truth supersedes those facts. It's as simple as that. It's a very simple equation. When you add the truth of God to the fact of the matter, the fact of the matter cannot compare. It is a complete mismatch. It's a complete mismatch. It's like having one of my favorite guys. I like him so much. My wife doesn't actually get it. I think Koto will probably get it. But anyway, one of my favorite guys, one of my favorite sportsmen. Oh, the money man. The welterweight champion of the world. <laughs> 49 and 0. Undefeated. Undisputed. <laughs> 53% knockout ratio. 53% knockout ratio. It's like having him in the one corner. Floyd Money Mayweather. And then in the other corner you've got Johnny Come Lady Jones, who's just graduated from the amateur boxing division, never fought a professional fight in his life, wanted to go toe-to-toe in his debut professional fight with the money man, Mayweather. It's a complete mismatch, hallelujah. It's a complete and utter mismatch. So what are the facts? The facts are that both of these guys are boxers. It's a fact. The truth, however, like it or not, it is. That's Floyd Money Mayweather. <laughs> One of my favorite guys. My wife still doesn't get it. <laughs> so you see, when we confess the word of God, it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what the storm is. It doesn't matter what the reality of your situation is. I'm not undermining what you're going through. I'm not saying that what you're feeling, I'm not saying that your turmoil and your torture is not real. Um, but what I am telling you this morning is that when you confess the truth of God, it supersedes, it supersedes the fact of whatever it is that you are going through this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Point number two, the nature of God's word is that it is creative. 
Hallelujah, Jesus. We create a culture of confessing God's word because we know that his word is creative. It has the ability, the ability to create. We serve a creative God. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I'm going to combine a few scriptures, just bear with me, because I want to get to something. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Hallelujah, Jesus. Romans 4 and verse 17 says, the latter part of that scripture says, Even God who quickened the dead, in other words, who brought life. Remember what our previous scripture says? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. By the way, that's your tongue and my tongue. Death and life are in the power of your tongue and my tongue. Now what does our God do with this ability? This scripture, Romans 4, 17 says, Our God who quickened the dead and called those things which be not as though they were. So what our God does with that ability of life and death is he chooses life. He chooses creativity. Hallelujah, Jesus. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 11 says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its own kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. He spoke the word, and he created life. He spoke the word, and it was. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, And God spoke. God said, Let there be light, and there was light. I've said to you that our God is a creator. He's not a destroyer. He's a creator of life. Hallelujah, Jesus. Now you and I, according to the word of God, also have this ability. Remember, we've been made, we've been created in his image. We've been created in his likeness. So literally with you and I, how many Spider-Man fans are there? Not the comic book. Okay, fine. The comic book and the movie. But there's a part in the movie Spider-Man 1. Forget about the other Spider-Mans. They're not that important. But Spider-Man 1, his uncle is talking to Spider-Man. I'm just going to call him Spider-Man because there's been so many different Spider-Man. But there's a part where his uncle speaks to him and his uncle says, just remember, son, with great power comes great responsibility. I'm saying to you this morning, remember, church, death and life are in the power of your tongue. And with great power comes great responsibility. Careful how you wield that tongue. Hallelujah, Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I wield the power of death and life, then I want to make sure that I'm wielding life and not death. And the way that you make sure that you wield life and not death is by confessing the word of God. Because God's word is creative. God's word is a word that creates life. Hallelujah. And not death. Are you with me this morning? Hallelujah, Jesus. I was gonna miss. I was gonna skip this testimony, but I just feel led to, just to tell you, just to share this with you. It was a few years ago, quite a few years ago, and there was this little boy, five years old. I mean, you, you, there's a couple. I'm sure there's a couple of five-year-old boys in the house, uh, so you know what, how tiny and how fragile a five-year-old little boy is. And so there he is. He's playing with his friends, and he's he's not at his home. He's at his aunt's home, and his aunt lives in the CBD. And he looks for his mom. Because in the midst of playing with his friends, he realizes that his mother's no longer with him. So he starts to look where his mother has gone. And his mother at that particular moment has crossed the road to go over to the other side to, to have another friend catch some public transportation somewhere else. And so being an innocent five-year-old boy, he does the natural thing to do. He decides to go after his mom. And so he unassistedly, by himself, five years old, in the middle of peak traffic, crosses the road. And he's involved in a hit and run accident. 
and it's completely crushed, completely, completely mangled. His skull is completely distorted uh, and crushed, and the swelling is, is horrendous. His wrist is completely broken. His one of his one of his one of his legs, tibia, fibula, I don't know, the biologist will tell me, but one of the bones are, are protruding out. It's completely as, as mangled as a little boy could possibly be. And he's rushed to the ICU, ICU unit. And his mother, however, arrives there as both a nurse and a God-fearing woman. And she arrives there and she asks, she inquires. So having the medical knowledge, but also being this boy's mother, she makes an inquiry and she says, how's my little boy doing? And the prognosis is bad. In fact, the prognosis is fatal. They say, unfortunately, ma'am, there's nothing we can do for this little boy. There's nothing we can do for him. It, 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 the injuries are too bad. He, he, we don't know how much longer he has to live, but it's not long. In fact, we, our advice to you is that you go in now and that you actually say goodbye to him. This God-fearing woman who knows the word of God, this God-fearing woman who knows the word of God takes a stand and she says, thank you, doctor. You know that I'm a nurse and I, you, I know that what you say you believe. But I'm also a woman of God. I also know of a higher power. So what I want you to do is get the release forms ready for me. I'll, be, I'll sign, I'll, I'll, I'll indemnify the hospital from any legal action. But I'm taking my boy home today. And it's going to be wow. It's going to be wow with him. I'm taking him home. To cut a long story short, she takes this five-year-old boy home. All the tubes and all the pipes and all the machines that are keeping him awake and keeping him alive but disconnected. She takes him home and that evening in, a, in her single rocking chair, she rocks with this broken, bruised, battered, uh, completely mangled and disfigured boy. She rocks with him and prays over him and confesses the creative word of God over his life. She confesses the creative word of God's healing power over his life. The very next morning, early hours of the morning, she awakes and there's nobody in her arms. She gets the shock of her life and then suddenly, silently, quietly, she hears the sound of a little five-year-old boy. He's got his two little cars there. He's going vroom, 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 and he's playing cars. Swelling has gone down. He's absolutely fine. Hallelujah, Jesus. That's not a story. That woman is my mother. That boy is me. Here I am today. Here I am today. And the only reason I'm here is because of the creative word of God. It's because of the life-giving word of God. Hallelujah. It's the reason why I'm here. It's the reason why you are here. Though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he came that you would have life and that you have it more abundantly. It's the creative word of God. Hallelujah. I don't have much time. In fact, I'll outrun my time. But I want to leave a couple of thoughts with you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Just a couple of thoughts. The nature of God's word is that it is exalted and supreme. It's exalted and it's supreme. I just want to leave one verse for you. Just one scripture, if that's okay. Hallelujah, Jesus. Psalm 138 and verse 2, the King James Version, my favorite version. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for, the, for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. 
This is the important part. Hallelujah. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. For thou hast magnified thy name, thy word above all thy name. Literally what that verse is saying is God himself, God himself has taken his word and he's elevated it above every name that he carries. Every name that he carries, he's taken this word and he says, I will exalt, I will elevate this word, this precious word above my every name. My question to you this morning before I leave you is what status, what status have you given the word of God in your life? What position does the word of God hold in your life this morning? Because whatever position, whatever status, whatever priority you give to this holy word of God, this creative word of God, this exalted word of God, is the same position you give your maker this morning. Because he himself has taken his word and he says, I exalt my word, I elevate my word above my very name. What importance do you give to the word of God this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. Wasn't that powerful? All right. Now, we show our appreciation. When something is preached, we show it by putting it into practice. So let's begin to confess the word of God in our lives. How do I land that? <laughs> it's like we're there 38,000 feet. Now I'm like, okay, we're beginning to land. <laughs> we're starting the process of landing. Thank you so much. We're so ministered to um, Stuart. All right. I want to land by sharing with you the second aspect of this, and then I'll close. So we spoke about confessing the word. Confessing the word is crucial if we're going to create a culture of faith. Secondly, we need to show the next generation how real the unseen realm is. We need to show the next generation how real the unseen realm is. Colossians 1 verse 15 to 16. He is the image, talking about Jesus, of the invisible God. Can you see God? Do we see God? But do we believe in God? Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who believe even though they don't see in the natural Thomas said to him, I will, I will not believe until I see it. And some of you are like that. You only believe certain things once you've seen it in the natural. The Bible tells us to focus on the unseen, not on the seen. Watch this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and so there are things that God created that are invisible. And one of the first things to do when you become a faith person is you enter a dimension where the unseen things are very real to you. You enter a dimension where you begin to teach your children that, you know what, even the wind, you can feel the wind, can't you? But can you see it? You can, you can experience the impact of the wind, but you can't see it with your eyes. You see, when you're a faith person, you're in touch with the unseen. How I many of you know that the way scientists think, and the natural way, those of you who are scientific, the way you think is based on empirical data. 
empirical evidence. You heard what was being said just now. And for many people, that becomes truth. It doesn't remain as fact. As long as we can see it with the natural eye, as long as we can measure it with empirical evidence, then we know this is what's true. That's secular humanism. But the epistemology of the biblical Christian, how we know what we know as biblical Christians is based on what's revealed in the word. That's truth for us. Now watch this. There's things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions. So there's certain thrones that are visible. If you go to Buckingham Palace, you can see the queen there. God locks his attention. He's like, what are you about to say about my queen? Okay. <laughs> you, can, you see a throne, don't you? So there are thrones that are visible, but there are also thrones that are invisible. How many of you know that when God says to you, I've given you this city, and the Bible tells us that we're seated in high places with Christ Jesus. How many of you know that there are thrones, there are positions that you cannot see, but they're very real? That have been created by God. Where are you seated right now? Where are you seated right now? What's your position in the spirit? It says whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. There are rulers that you can watch when you watch the news. And you see them. You see rulers in parliament. But there are also rulers that you cannot see. There are things that have been created that are seen. And there are things that have been created that are unseen. When you're a faith person, you're conscious of the unseen. Watch this. It says, all things have been created through him, that's Jesus, and for him. So if you're a musician, it's important to know that music was created through him and for him. So when your music is not for him, when your music does not glorify him, when your music is not wholesome, you're not, a, you're not using it for what it was purposed. And God is not blessed in the process. Are you tracking with me? Mark 11, verse 23 and 24. We've had this scripture earlier on in the series. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen. So what happens in life? We've just heard about confessing the word. Why do certain things happen? The Bible here says it very clearly. That they believe that what they say will happen. God will give you what you say. Okay. Oh, my mic. Oh, it's dropped. Thanks. Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen. Do you believe that what you say will happen? It will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, now watch this, this is where I'm going to focus. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. Can you see it? Believe that you have received it. In English grammar, that's the present perfect tense, isn't it? Believe that you have received it. You use the present perfect tense when there's no time frame to it. You don't quite know when exactly it happened, but at a certain point, it happened. 
and I believe that I have received it. I've been confessing the word, and I believe I have received it. Where have I received it? If I can't see it in the natural, we received in the spirit first. We received in the unseen realm first. And that's why, can you see, when you're a person of faith, your language changes. When someone says to you, have you been healed yet? You're able to say, my healing has not yet manifested. It's not yet made manifest in the natural, but I've received it in the spirit. Are you following? Believe that you have received it and it will be. It will be. It will become. It will manifest in the natural and you will see it with your physical eyes. But the first thing you do is you receive it in the spirit. My question to you is what are you pregnant with? But when a woman is pregnant, she can't see the baby. Unless she goes for scans and so on. You can't see the baby. Amen? What are you pregnant with? What have you received in the spirit where you know it's so real? It's been created by those words that you've spoken. You believe that you'll have what you say. My question to you is, what are you saying and what have you received? How real is it? I've been in situations in my life where I'll speak to my wife and I'll say, you know what? I've shifted from believing to knowing. I'm so convinced of this particular thing. I know it like I know it like I know it. We have to teach the next generation that things are created first in the spirit and after a particular moment in time, after a period of time, they will manifest in the natural. But just because you cannot see it doesn't mean it hasn't been created. I think it's such a privilege that we have in our lives right now. The privilege to co-create with God. The privilege to declare and to decree all sorts of things and they're there, they've happened. We know it like we know it like we know it. When you stretch your faith, what are you creating? Is it to do with your family? Can you see your family? How are they functioning? We'll have what we say, but many of us are saying what we have. What are you confessing with your mouth? Is it what you're seeing in the natural or what you're birthing in the spirit? Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, whatever you ask for in prayer, didn't say some things, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. He doesn't even talk about the giver in this instance. Because for Jesus it's a given. He's showing us that the problem is in the receiving. He's saying, guys, guys, don't. The giver, he's sorted. I'll share with you that next week. It's sorted. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Not a few. You know, some people, some cults have got this belief that, you know, there can only be 144,000 people that will enter into paradise. They've got all these funny beliefs. But when I look at the word of God, Jesus says in John 14, in my father's house, there are many rooms. There's no quota system in heaven. It's not like those scholarships that people get where they say, you know, rush, please apply because there's a limited number. It's not like those concerts where it's like, oh no, you know, there's a limited number of seats. It says in my father's house, there are many rooms. So the giver is sorted. We know his character. We know his nature. We'll talk about that next week. 
But Jesus addresses the issue and he says, believe that you have received. So the problem is very often an issue of belief. My question to you is, do you believe? Do you believe? For some people, this is how their belief works and it's not faith. They're like, I believe that hopefully one day government permitting, if the funds are available, I will hopefully get all things being equal. There's a that's not faith. That's not faith. Faith is believe that you have received. Perfect tense. Believe that you have received it. What's the sign of having received something? If I come and if I say to you, I'm going to give you some cash. What will you do? Will you only thank me after you see the cash transferred? Or will you say, thank you so much. I'll be able to pay my fees now. You will start thanking. One of the signs of faith when you believe you've received something is you begin to thank. And you don't even say, I'm thanking you, Lord, in advance because it's already happened. He says, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Can you see that there's a time gap between the two? Believe you've received it and it will be yours. Just because it hasn't manifested yet into the natural doesn't mean that it hasn't been created. Let's begin to create. Final verse, Hebrews chapter 11. This is one of the foundation verses in this series. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 2. In the NIV it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. How many of you know that to have faith, we need to have hope? Hope is joyful expectation. So it's when you're anticipating something. And the Bible here says, Faith is confidence in what you are expecting. That it's going to happen, right? Now watch this. So if you don't have anything you're expecting, then faith can't be there. Do you see that? So, we need to expect. What are you expecting? Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Many times when people can't see something, what do they do? Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. So what do they say? I don't want to hope anymore because if, I don't want to be disappointed. So faith is destroyed. It's assurance in what we cannot see. Then it goes on to say in verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. In other words, the heroes of faith, they were commended because of their faith. If you want to copy anything that those guys are doing, copy their faith. I like it in the NKJV, the New King James. Look what it says. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, it's that creative material. Right? It's a substance of things hoped for. Watch this. The evidence of things not seen. If you say to me, Paul, I want to go to the Lionel Richie concert. And they say it's your birthday coming up. And you say, this is my birthday present. I want to go to the Lionel Richie concert. Right? And then I say, okay, I'm going to get you a ticket. And I go and I buy a ticket for you. When I give you that ticket... That is the evidence of the thing you are hoping for. So long as you don't have that ticket, you'll still be wondering if you've just been hope. You just say, I'm just a hoping, I'm just a praying. Right? You know what I'm saying? I'm just hoping and praying that it works out. They're not necessarily in faith. Hope is the first aspect of faith, isn't it? So you're expecting this thing, but you don't yet have the evidence. 
The moment I give you that ticket, and it's there, and it's wrapped up with a nice bow, are you going to start thinking to yourself, eh, but will my seat be taken? Eh, but do I really have a seat? It'll be there saying, dome. And I don't know how the seating arrangement works there. You know, um, seats J407. And you know you're in row J407. You know you've got your seat. Faith is like that. The evidence is the promise of the word of God. The evidence is what God speaks to us. That becomes the evidence of the thing I'm hoping for. Now, when you're waiting for that particular concert, you've got no doubt in your mind, do you? You've got no doubt in your mind. You know it's done. You're telling all your friends, guys, we've got the tickets. That's the key to your breakthrough, isn't it? Guys, we are sorted. Now, how does the thing manifest? How do you end up experiencing that concert? You have to physically go. It will be yours. Believe you have received it. The evidence is the ticket. It will be yours. You physically go. Amen? Amen. I believe God has given us lots of evidence for things we are hoping for. And that's why when you're hoping for something, go and look for the evidence of that thing. Look in the word of God. Has he spoken? The revealed word of God, the revelation word of God that we learned about. Have you received a prophetic word in line with the word of God? Amen. Is it something that God is speaking to you? Have you seen it in scripture? Has he given you that inward witness? Do you feel a peace in your heart? Yes, God has spoken. That's the evidence of the things you are hoping for. You see that? And I like the way it says, for, it, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So what are we going to do? We're going to make sure that we place faith where it is. Why? Because that's what Jesus is looking for. Saying when the Son of Man comes to earth, will he find faith? And we'll apply that faith in all areas of our lives. And one of the key ways of creating a culture of faith is we need to confess the word. What is coming out of the lips of your children? The people that you're discipling. Many people today in the body of Christ, they can quote a rap. They will rap like for a long time. All these words, they don't have a problem with that. But ask them to quote a piece of scripture. They'll say, hey, I'm struggling. Why are we confessing? And then secondly, we will be a people who are conscious of the unseen. The unseen will be so real to us as opposed to those who only focus on our sin. Can I hear an amen? amen? Let's go and do that and we'll carry on next week. Let's pray.